I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm going to be in Formula 1. You've had a hell of a career. You're a multiple race winner that's competed in 14 European Le Mans, 15 Dubai 24 hours, 16 Asian Le Mans. You've done 17 Goodwood Hill climbs. I was addicted to the, the speed of being good at something. I had a BMW badge, I had a contract. Development driver for BAC Mono. I've seen you've done loads of driver training with supercar driver. A 458 Speciale Amperta. Just sideways. And just sideways for ages. Thought of a million following and driven everything under the sun and won loads of races and hit different categories those opportunities must become a lot easier i did start to sacrifice everything else nyla was pregnant at the time with cali when i probably got my most dangerous job we're talking 300 mile an hour speeds you know nyla's back at the hotel pregnant and, and i'm about to break this speed record that someone on tuesday in the uk tried to break for es motors in a porsche 911 and passed away Ollie, it's always lovely for me when I followed a guest for years prior sometimes to actually meeting them, like you in your case, because I joined Supercar Driver must have been probably 10 years ago uh, now before I even had a license with my dad and I remember the first clips I was captivated by I remember one in particular which was a 458 Speciale Aperta in the winter I believe just sideways and just sideways for ages the track was massive I saw this clip and I was like God, that guy can really flip and pedal a car, can't he? <laughs> and since then, I've obviously seen um, achievements in racing, different parts of motorsport, how he built a career outside. I was actually lucky enough to drive a BAC Mono, and then I obviously learned that you're a development driver for them. So I watched a load of your stuff on YouTube, and I was thinking about, oh, I'm going to get one of these crazy Monos or not. Um, so I know a lot about you behind the scenes and the stuff that everybody else might see um, that may have followed you for a long period of time, etc., on social media. But today, what I'd like to understand is how does that cool guy get to the position that he's into today? What did life look like growing up and how have you created a career out of essentially your passion? But the first question that I always like to ask my guests is, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? In my own words, um, I'm Oliver James Webb, for my own fault. I always give my middle name, which now 
in uh, Arabic culture, I get called James for some reason instead <laughs> of Oliver. But anyway, Oliver James Rob, uh, professional racing driver, and that's probably a full stop after that. That's kind of where uh, what I introduce myself as. And you've had a hell of a career, just to list some of the things off. You're a multiple race winner that's competed in 14 European Le Mans, 15 Dubai 24 hours, 16 Asian Le Mans. You've done 17 Goodwood Hill climbs, which I saw included, which I loved because who doesn't, especially being a British motorsport fan, who doesn't love flipping Goodwood? How cool is that to go up the hill? Um, But out of all of those things, what was your first memory of getting in a racing car? My first memory of getting in a racing, well... In in a go-kart or racing car? Start with karting. Okay, so karting came about um, when we were on holiday initially in uh, France, I believe, and I was never quite old enough to go on the go-karts that uh, my brother and my dad used to have a bit of fun on. Um, and kind of where this story is starting when I went to my brother and the dad is not where most motorsport kind of stories start leading which is i got into it because of family so they were doing it literally like what you would do at like a fair arrive and drive have a bit of fun none of my family were into motorsport they weren't they didn't have a pre-existing addiction to watching formula one or did it themselves so i just wanted to be in it because they could do it and i couldn't so i finally was able to get in the go-kart and when i first did um i did well i beat them basically and they didn't like that so i think they stopped and i carried on um and that was my first memory of karting was was really wanting to do it from a young age, not being able to because I was too young to get in those carts. And when I first got in, I was just hooked straight away with no idea of how the racing ladder worked or if I was going to keep doing this or that it was going to be a career. For me, it was just, oh, when we go on holidays, I can go karting now. That's really cool. That's literally how it started. And yeah, there was um, there was no sitting on the couch and watching Formula One when I was younger as a big family unit or or getting into it through through family. I just started on that that path myself, and I did I did very little karting in comparison to most of the people through the ranks. I did two years, and that was that was it because I got into it late. I think I first started karting when I was eleven. And most people these days, it would seem that their first experience of actually a racing line or a race or something like that is going to be digitally. I think it's actually looked upon a little bit weird if someone's not been on a simulator before they've got into a go-kart or got into a racing car. It, that it just seems to be the norm now. You know, I've raced around here on the sim, etc. But back then, everything, including a racing line, braking zones, the lot that was all learned from just being in a physical car on a track and starting off that way. How long does it take to get the grips with the things that, okay, yes, you can be quick, but to become 2004 world karting champion? No, no, I I was, um, I was only a local champion, like UK club level. I I mean, I was able to be champion in, in mini max when I did it, but not world. I wish, I wish, but, um, God, yeah, I'm getting old now because we're using the phrases back then, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> it is. You're right, though, because I've thought about this a, a lot. It's like people now can, their first go on something is is going to be, and, and which is great, on the computer. You know, you're going to try it on a sim or on a computer, whereas there wasn't any of that. There was at the point where you had like YouTube tutor- tutorials of someone speaking you through, and I used to start watching those. That was my version of kind of like learning the tracks and seeing some old grainy footage um but no yeah i didn't sim came after physically getting in carts and cars rather than the other way around but i think it's great now that that can happen the other way around so when people do get their opportunity that they're that they're trying to get if it's in motorsport 
they could have had years of simulator work if they need to, or, or PC or PlayStation or, or on your phone. I mean, anything now is better than nothing. And you mentioned that your family, it wasn't the big family unit sitting around a sofa watching the Formula One or been pushed into motorsport like many, like you must sit in the seat of that car. Did you just love it then from the get-go and thought, oh my God, this is just flipping brilliant. And then just like, this is what I want to do. Did you realise that really quickly? Do you know what? I don't know if it's because my memory is bad or because it, it because the answer is that it didn't happen instantly. Because I was addicted to the, the speed and being good at something because... Back then, I was okay at a lot of things. There wasn't anything I particularly excelled at, maybe a little bit in fitness, but there wasn't a sport that I wanted to apply that fitness to. Um, so I definitely got hooked to the speed, but what I loved about motorsport is the amount of things that they that had to go into it to make you like a complete driver and be quick. And I saw that as, as not a hurdle, but an opportunity because I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm fit enough. I seem to be quite quick. I've started late, but not too late. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the position where my dad can help me go karting, which was amazing. You know, not many kids get that opportunity, so I can at least start it. Um, and back then, karting was a few hundred, few thousand pounds. You know, it wasn't like it is now where people spend six figures on karting. It would have been a bit of a different situation now. Um, but my family helped me so much when I first started that I'm like, well, if I put in the time and the effort and do everything else around and they can give me the head start that I can show what I can do to like a manufacturer in the future, then maybe this can be what I do. So that that happened. I don't know if it happened that instant, but I'd certainly say within the first 12 months of getting in a car, I'm like, from then on, that's what. Everything then centred towards that goal to the point where when I started going to school, um, the subjects I picked would loop back towards racing. So I picked um, photography and videography at school, um, I picked uh, religious studies just because I like arguing. Um, and then uh, <laughs> what else did I pick? I just picked stuff that I could Ooh, either... Well, this will be good then. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get going. Um, and then I can't remember what, but uh, business studies and economics. So I picked stuff that... Engineering? Are, well, I didn't have engineering at the school I was at. Right, okay. I would have loved to. But in the end, I was like, okay, if I do photography, videography, business studies and economics, and the religion was religious studies at the time was just one that I was quite good at. A filler as yeah, well. Yeah, a filler. Um, I'm like, if I can do those well, then I can create better PDFs and videos when I go testing to show to sponsors and partners to get more funding to go racing. Um, so, yeah, if there was something at A-level that I could do that was like PE as well uh, for fitness and engineering, I would have done, but our school didn't do that side of things. But um, but yeah, the point was is I just I channeled everything in life towards then that singular goal, that basically. singular goal exactly. And there's not many of those seats going around in the world. And with things, and you said it was a bit differently back then. But now, where the barrier is, oh, you know, can you buy a two hundred and fifty pound wheel and pedals, basically, um, to go on an Xbox and begin learning a racing line, etc. The barrier was a little bit higher back when you were there to, to actually start in that first position um, in racing. W what was the next step on from karting then? Where did you go from that? And do you think that to actually be in a more powerful vehicle than a go-kart, you need to start with karting in a racing career? Do you think that is a must? It's a really good question. And it's uh, it's getting to be a really strong question because things like um, the, the Nissan Academy, Nismo Academy, um, all these sim academies now that people skip the karting stage and either go sim to car or nothing to car and do very, very well. Um, 
you probably i mean karting is great for racecraft but 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 the modern way of racing with all these program categories a lot of the people we race with um who tend to be businessmen slightly older they've never done they've skipped the whole karting stage they're coming straight into cars with the help of everything else i don't think karting's as vital as it was i've seen that i get what you're on about i think someone i follow is alexander west and yeah. i've heard that he's quite quick as as well in various yeah. bits of machinery and again he's a businessman that's got some incredible machinery so i kind of i've never really thought about it from that perspective yeah it's seat time and i mean look there's loads of levels i mean alex is a super talented am really really quick and and when we use the phrase am he's by no means an amateur driver it's just the way they categorize when you race pro-am together but on the other hand he has loads of seat time he's done very well for himself very clever very good businessman which means that whenever he wants he can jump in his fxxx car his gt3 car and get seat time so Karting is definitely a better and cheaper way to get the seat time if you do it right. You have these Club 100, Daytona, uh, Warrington Karting places where you can literally uh, go in and do these weekend um, championships, which is what I started in. I would finish school, go and do like three 20-minute heats at Daytona Manchester. I did a year of that. Then I went into proper club Minimax Championship, which is the one I won in the UK. So the next step to answer your question was I went into something called T-Cars, which is um you could race at 14 years old it was a tin top almost like a british touring car style looking car like a super impressory looking car like a janetta these days um yeah so at the time you had something called sax max junior janetta and t cars those were the three you could do at 14 um yeah (laughs) i thought we were a little bit further on from that no no so i got my arts license when i was 12 wow Uh, yeah uh, 12 or 13 here at silverstone um, sat on a load of cushions in the wet in a catrum, um, learning how to drive to get my provisional race license. So I, w- I was racing for like three years before I got my road license in cars. Um, and in that championship, you had Luciano Pachetta, Formula Two champion, Max Chilton. Um, you had Jolyon Palmer, obviously XF1 driver. Loads of really good names. It was a really good start. And at that point, those were just names, friends. You know, you, you didn't know where anyone was going to be. Um, that was then. I was then, I think, third in that championship. And then it was a little bit, at that point, it was like, right, now it's serious. It's going to be serious money. Um, We're not making any money from this. You're still, I mean, I'm like frigging 15. Um, Do we stop now? What's the, you know, we need sponsorship now, basically, to be able to carry on. Um, My dad had been helping me throughout that whole point and continued to do so in between sponsors that we found to make that work so i'm like totally indebted to i'm only here because of them as most kids are with their parents um but i got really lucky to find out through my manager michael bentwood at the time that bmw were doing this scholarship where i can't remember the exact figures but it was something like you pay 500 pounds or a thousand pounds you get to go to valencia with like i guess 100 other kids um, who also pay a thousand pounds or 200 kids who also pay a thousand pounds and then two people come out of that with the money from everyone else to use as a scholarship to go racing wow. so basically you win um i can't remember how much i can't remember it's 50 grand or 200 grand, but you win the total amount to be able to be a scholarship bmw driver with media training and fitness and and it almost covered a lot of the budget which then you can subsidize with other ways and that i was lucky enough to win that so henry Surtees rest his soul, and myself both won that scheme um, in Formula BMW. Um, sorry, it was I lie, it was three of us, and uh, uh, Eric Comas as well, um, Anthony Comas, sorry. Uh, three of us won that in Valencia. Um, and then that was when... Uh, 15, 16 yeah, years six, old. Yeah, 
16, I think then, 15 or 16, yeah. That's when it was serious. I was like, I had a BMW badge, I had a contract. Um, I wasn't getting paid, but I was getting racing paid for and seat time. And I'm like, well, if I, everything I've done before has worked towards this. If I work hard enough, I can keep this going. And I like, you know, you're young, you're still at school, you're impressionable. Um, Everyone's egotistical. I was like, well, I'm a factory driver. (laughs) I wasn't at all, but I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm going to be in Formula One. This is amazing. So you just get all excited and you're like, if I I work hard enough, this is going to be amazing. Um, But but in all seriousness, I I say that and we joke, but I just had no doubt in my head if I just did everything that I needed to do, I knew I was quick enough to get there to do it. So um, I did did start to sacrifice everything else. Um, I didn't really do when I was at school, any of the, the, the social side in, in the evenings, every single weekend was racing. When I wasn't racing, I was training. If I wasn't training, I was videoing because as social media was coming up, when it was still Facebook was the only thing, I was making videos on a camcorder, which I would then post on Facebook with some like nickelback music of me testing and like putting my helmet on and like just so that it could like generate attention and, and looping back to probably how we ended up getting in contact. If I hadn't started it that early on, I wouldn't have the social media following I have I, today. That was my next my next point was was going to say it's really nice to hear that skills that you actually picked and thought about when you were at school because some people just don't, don't have a clue what they want to do, which is fair enough. And we've heard some amazing stories on here of people that have just fallen into the maddest stuff. But you, it seemed like you actually really did nail down, picked what you wanted to do. And it's it's nice to actually see that come to fruition today, um, especially with your social media following and the way that you do that. It, uh, straight away, as soon as you said earlier that you'd done that at school for a subject, media and photography, I was like, oh, that makes total sense then because he's brilliant at recording and everything. But... You mentioned that that is a huge step. Obviously, we can't gloss over the being one of three people out of that thing. Cause the, the thing is, the people that always get the, the podcast time and the people that have actually made it, but sometimes it goes unnoticed, the hundreds of people that actually tried to get a seat behind that. So really, with racing, like they, they say in Formula One, you've just got to be fast. Yeah, you, you've got to be fast. And I'm also under no illusion that separate to those hundreds of people or hundred or however many went to that scholarship and didn't get it, there's tens of thousands that didn't even have the thousand pounds to then do the scholarship in the first place. And I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of people that people would have, if they'd have known, would have, if they'd <laughs> known, uh, or I'm sure there's, uh, I mean, you get, get murdered for saying it, but there's, there might be a thousand death in centers out there who just never got in a cart. We just don't know because they never had the opportunity. So I'm under no illusion that I'm incredibly lucky and privileged that I got the opportunity to go karting. Um, uh, at a young age um, and, and was raised in the family that I was to be able to get to opportunity. So I thought to myself, well, I need to work 10 times harder to be able to prove that it's for the right reasons, you know, and, and that's also another reason why I studied those things at school because I wanted so badly to make as much sponsorship and partners and whatever is possible so that my car was littered with all the right logos so that when I win, it was a combination of, oh, and he's also a BMW-supported driver who also goes out to try and, you know, make his own money to try and go racing. It was, that was important to me to make sure that, okay, not that I made it on my own, because definitely not, I wouldn't have been able to do it without everyone who helped me, um, but that I didn't waste it. No, it seems like you've picked your, your moments quite carefully. And something that I'd love to understand is even uh, running a podcast and a van, you're crew sponsors, and it's, it's nice now, because once you've had 
five six really big episodes then it makes it easier to say oh i'd like this guy or this guy yeah. like you can kind of get guests but i suppose you got that um, initial step of getting that scholarship for bmw um for say but you weren't quite yet then paid because then it's another step on from that is actually turning something into a career and i know just how hard it is to sometimes get put sponsorships together and get money out of sponsors so how what was that step like kind of coming out of school and what was after the bmw scholarship and how did you get on um so yeah after the bmw scholarship it was formula renault which was then i moved on to uh, the renault brand without um any kind of factory seats or or anything like that but again with some fantastic drivers and led the championships at points but ended up finishing third by the end of the championship um but i was then able to through formula renault at the time which was um you know a really really big feeder series get the attention of mercedes for formula 3 where i got a, a mercedes engine contract backed for formula 3 championship now at the time it was back when formula 3 uk or or i say formula 3 full stop was the stepping stone you know one that um a lot of drivers had gone straight to f1 from one that you know you're only two steps away if you go through f2 uh, gp2 at the time towards formula one this is when it was really serious um 17 18 years old at this time mercedes logo on my suit fortec running me as a team who were one of the top teams fortec and carlin and it was back when it was open engines mercedes vw uh big names racing from felipe nasa ericsson john eric verne james Collado. i mean alexander sims Svensson Cook, almost the whole grid of like 30 people, I'd say, of any of the championships I've raced in, at the highest percentage of that grid went on to become pro in some form, earning in some form. And and a lot of that was actually Formula One. Um, that was also my favourite year of racing because it was not only the most important year, but it was the one where I was still proving our worth because I was in a team that probably didn't quite have the budget of Carlin and the Red Bull car of, of, of Jean-Eric Verne and the VW who would back then we had qualifying engines and race weekend engines there wasn't a limit you could ha have as many as you want as long as you can buy them um, which we didn't have the privilege of having too many unfortunately um, so I distinctly remember one of my one of my standout moments that year was the first race weekend and the first race weekend is always really important because you've had a whole winter off training focusing your mind envisaging winning everything you know ready formula to go one. <laughs> formula one i'm gonna be in formula one and it was my home track alton park in a formula three car crazy that we even have it on the schedule because it's like a little track up north and we're going to be at spa in two months time um and there was this talk of this red bull uh jean Eric verne driver coming and he'd never been taught in park and i'm like this is great i've got loads of guests here i've been really quick in testing I can win here because he's never seen the place. Um, and he beat me in both races, like immediately. Um, and I came second in both. And I was a, I was genuinely gutted because I was like, that's going to be my best chance all year, I think. But a few rounds later, we ended up going to Magnicourt, which was, uh, he was French, obviously a French track, one that he'd grown up racing on. I'd never seen it. And I won both races. So that, and I was leading the championship then at that point. That must have reignited some confidence then at that moment. Yeah, it really did. And that's, in that period, that window, that mid-summer break that we went into was the most contact of, of, of any time in my life that then Formula One teams we were speaking to and opportunities for the future then started coming in and that's when it started getting a bit serious and I knew that even if Formula One doesn't happen, I now know I can make a career out of this because the right attention's coming. 
How much time in racing is spent doing admin deals sponsorship versus uh, sitting in a car and driving it? Mm. <clears throat> well, it's, it's, it's over 99% to 1% in terms of if you started a stopwatch of how long you're in the car versus how long you're emailing someone or trying in a to get, making yeah. sure that you're in the car. Yeah. And what <laughs> along that journey, you must have experienced times where you were slightly worried about a seat or you didn't think you quite got a drive or you knew that you got a drive and you were really confident. What was those first few years like? Was it always, it was it almost strength for strength for a while or was it still a challenge to try and get those stepping stones? I'd say at the time it felt like a challenge because, because you're, because you're, is a new opportunity every single year or should I say uh, an opportunity finishes every year. So you've got to look at the next one. At the time it felt really tough because you've got to renegotiate for next year but looking back on it it was easy in comparison to what came in the future because there was a clear ladder you know it was t cars bmw formula renault f3 f2 f1 that was my ladder i wasn't looking at anything else to the side indycar world endurance le mans i think i'd probably watched a little bit of le mans every now and then but it wasn't even on my radar um but then if we fast forward when i then started in endurance racing and and becoming pro i look back with envy on those years where i at least knew what category i needed to be in next and and everyone i needed to speak to to be there because now the the way that and, and still to this day every single winter not only is your ladder looking a bit different it's more horizontal you kind of have got to a point where i'm in Le Mans, I'm in the World Endurance Championship, I'm in these top level championships, GT3. It's about staying in there rather than going up, because right, okay. Formula 1's not on the radar, you're mid, I'm mid-30s, or low-30s, sorry. Um, I'm wishing years away now. Um, it's because Fernando's there now. Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's a if new I can president get to his age, age, I'll be amazing. Um, yeah, so it, it's now, it's, it's not only the feeling of, and with a family as well, of trying to stay at the top end of motorsport. It's, you're out of a job every year. So it's like it's like thousands of people coming into your office um, and you know that come November your contract ends every single time and you've got to re-interview for it every single time. Um, there's been very, very few times in my career where I've had a two-year contract um, and in motorsport it's very rare. I think when I watch Formula One, what I love doing, and I can see that this is one of the things we're going to talk about in a minute because you definitely got the gift of the gab for say however that i like picking the drivers that i think they'll make a pundit they'll make a pundit they'll make a pundit because some of some of them have just lando for argument's sake is going to make a, a wonderful pundit one yeah. day you can you can just see it um in the same way that jensen button has gone on to make a great pundit working with teams do you start thinking about now then in your career development i mean i mentioned some things at the start like development driver for bac mono i've seen you've done loads of driver training with supercar driver get involved with track days and with a great big social media and quarter of a million following and driven everything under the sun and won loads of races and competed in different categories, those opportunities must become a lot easier now. So can you see how you are going to forge a career away from just driving on track? Yes, and it's a great question, um, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. So I, I started on that journey quite early on, uh, and I really had to channel my energy to make sure that I wasn't... that I was mentally strong enough to understand that, okay, Ollie, if you're going to go into these things it can't be seen as a distraction from the people who are supporting you and mentally you can't allow it to be a because there's this mentality of if you know you're going to make it and that's everything 
then you shouldn't even be worried about that stuff on the site. But I was very much aware that at one point I need to make a living and the, the dream would be to pay people back who have helped me along the way. Now, motorsport, obviously, it takes, you know, 10 times quicker to spend it than you can earn it. But it does happen. And I'm lucky that it's starting to happen now. But yeah, so I started on that journey quite early to build a bit of a following so that I can make money off different avenues and different sources and get involved and get my name out there because motorsport is such a niche. Yes, now Liberty Media own F1 and they have pushed it amazingly well to uh, to everyone. But at one point when I was doing... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Indy lights on the IndyCar calendar, and I was living in Indianapolis. No one has a clue what Formula One was 10 years ago. No idea walking around America. You know, you'd have to, it's such a niche sport. Whereas, you know, I could put on a pole lap round uh, Spa or, or your qualifying lap around Le Mans in an LMP1 car, which someone who's into racing would absolutely love, and then drift a Ferrari in a car park the next day when the Ferrari's going to get like a 10 times more views than something else. And, and the way I always viewed that is that's because the Ferrari is something that is achievable to someone if they work hard enough at whatever they do, maybe one day they can get. Whereas an LMP1 car is a sport and a race car that doesn't look like a normal car and I don't want to be a racing driver, I just want to have a nice car. So it's, I think it was that whole poster on the wall and that's when I started doing stuff with Supercar Driver and I'm going off on tangents here. Supercar Driver were great to me because they saw the benefit of having someone like myself that was winning at the time and, and in motorsport to, to help them on their events and driving and, and bringing kind of hot laps and that kind of style to it. Um, the guys who ran it were great. And for me, it was an opportunity to get in a load of amazing cars um, and meet amazing... Speciale Aperta. Yeah, that, that was, was wicked. I love that video, man. I still remember it. So fun just to have. And that's what I was doing this morning, actually. Not not in a purse or in a catering, but in a big empty car park, just car control. So much fun. But um, yeah, so I, th- I then I would email hundreds of emails a day, like info ads. I mean, I would make lists of all the different companies that I wanted to target and and pundit jobs. Um, I mean, I got offered the I ended up getting the BT job. So I was a commentator for IndyCar for three years before it went to Sky Um so, so I did get into that commentary and presenting role, did a bit of presenting for BT Sport over those two or three years. Um, and yeah, it's definitely a side that I want to get to. But the kind of roundabout answer that I was getting to is that I didn't want it to distract me, but I was aware I needed to do it on the side. So 
my focus still relies on making sure that every year I'm still in a top category car winning because I'll only get those bits on the side if I have the respect for still doing that. Because if I stopped now all of a sudden with the main goal of racing and took all the stuff on the side, which often pays more than the racing, then that'll be a short-lived, short goal, not what I want. Um, and in five years, then your name's not quite as strong as it was before. So that pyramid still needs to exist. I still need to be at Le Mans in a good car, fighting for championships, and the rest of the stuff will come. So you mentioned before that the longest contract you think you've ever had is two years. And whilst uh, there's lots of things around the side that sometimes pay more, ultimately you need to make sure that you're in a seat competing and making sure your name is at the forefront of racing, that you're winning races, I guess. That's a massive part of racing is to be at the front. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rarely people remember who is at the back is a problem. But does this make you an anxious person in general at all? Always not really knowing what's ahead of the end of your nose a little bit where there's not long contracts the rest of it do you find the whole negotiating contracts thing now quite an anxious horrible period or how how do you find how do you feel in those situations yeah i'd say so i think it's really it's a mentally challenging period it's uh become more so when you get a family got a little one to look after things get a bit more serious you can't take the same risks as maybe you used to be able to do so then the anxiety level is even higher um i don't think i used to be an anxious person and I think when it kind of hit responsibility wise that okay now I've got to look after myself a bit more now um in terms of for a living you know I can't keep relying on oh I'm sure there'll be a BMW or a Mercedes contract or something coming I think it's around about the time when Formula One didn't happen I think when I got my first Formula One contract offer that had a big bill attached to it, which back then it did for a lot of people, unless you're a Red Bull Junior driver or Mercedes driver. Um, And it's that kind of gut-wrenching realisation that the offer is a good offer compared to what it would be for most, and it's because you've done really well. You only have to pay this much. You've only got to find this much from a sponsor, but it's the realisation of even if I was able to get the amount that, that I needed to, to be an F1 on the grid in, uh, on that year, I might have to try again the next year. Or halfway through the season, someone will come with um, some Telmex money from wherever, Venezuela, and, and, and you're out. Because as a team boss, if I was a team boss, if you got two drivers and one's two-tenths of a second quicker than the other, but the other one's got a couple million quid more, then that's going to make the car four-tenths quicker. So it's just one plus one equals two. And, and as a team manager and, and race team, you have to do the maths. And Formula One isn't a cheap sport. So I'm imagining the numbers attached to being offered a contract. So you're offered a contract and that number to get you in is either higher or lower, depending on kind of how much they want you in the car. And you mentioned you had a but that's still, I'm guessing, millions of pounds. Yeah. That's insane. And then you have to go on a hunt of basically hello sir would you give me x million pounds to sit in a race car please thank you very much yeah how do you start those conversations Uh, that's the reason why i did all the stuff that i was doing on the side because you know coca-cola sticking a sticker on the side of the car to sell more cans doesn't work anymore um and every day that passes it works less you know b2b deals social media deals you know tv adverts and newspaper adverts must be 10% of what they used to be like in the Sunday times, because not only is it just a picture in a page that is untraceable, 
Um, it's unquantifiable, whereas now they can measure clicks and YouTube adverts and podcast click-throughs and how many people bought it. Um, it's just amazing for the brands, a lot tougher for the people who are trying to get the sponsorship, but it's fair, you know, they should get their money's worth. So that's why I was doing the stuff on the, the side so that, you know, I do something for Supercar Driver, they let me come to an event that would normally cost money, I can then bring people to that event and give hot laps to their corporate client, and then I'll video that and then try and sell that video to a camera company like Insta360 or GoPro, because they would normally have to pay so much to have access to that event, or I'm racing with someone who's hired Silverstone for 35 grand for the day and then try and sell some advertising for half of that and give some of that to that guy and it you do have to be a bit of a wheeler deal to make it work it does make you an anxious person and quite stressed out all the time because you feel like you have 35 jobs and a and hundred rolling negotiations and sources of income the dream is to be a driver who gets paid once a year a large sum of money from one bomb person you know it's a dream for everyone in whatever they do but, uh, you know, one month can be huge and you can have two months of nothing. And, and that is what happens all while trying to stay fit, healthy and quick on the track. And I've totally forgotten what the question is. But but I, I, th <laughs> I think it's fair to say that, though, that you have competed in some amazing categories of motorsport and won some awesome races. Like we, we always gloss over about what is the next thing, what is the next thing. But there's a hell of an achievements list. You only have to go on your website and scroll down your CV and it must feel for you like a blink of an eye from being sat in that cart to now just how many laps you must have done, how many mi miles round tracks you must have done. Is there one particular race that stands out for you before we kind of move off of racing that was like the pinnacle? I th my favourite race weekend was probably that Magnicore F3 race weekend in terms of I've driven the best I can. I'm at a very high level. M my dreams were looking um, possible um, uh, and, you know, everything was in the right direction. In terms of a really... There have been many other very special moments, though, like r racing around Monaco for the first time in, in what was World Series F2 car back, back then. Um was incredible getting to drive during the Indy 500 weekend and Indy Lights and the Freedom 100, ticking off a lot of these big events. Uh, obviously, Le Mans, my first time ever at Le Mans, standing on um, the podium. I'd say the F3 race at Magnicourt slash standing on the podium at Le Mans for a French team, Alpine, um, on my first time ever going, those two were, uh, stand out very clearly, you know, looking down on that, that sea of people. And I think Le Mans is the next big... I wouldn't be surprised if, say, Liberty Media got involved with Le Mans because Le Mans seems to be the next huge thing for the world to see. Yeah. I know people like um, Steve that sat on the camera over there followed all sorts of different racing series for ages where I'm more Formula One-based. But it, it has been recently that I've gone, especially Giovinazzi and the Ferraris last year. Like, what a story. And... I'm really captivated by that now and look forward to kind of looking at some other forms of racing. But you mentioned for, to, to achieve those um, moments, those two favourite moments there for say, you have to kind of put everything on the line as a racing driver, your life included. So how old is your little one and how long have you kind of had a family unit? Because that must have to start to settle down a little bit after a while. <sighs> yes and no. Um, so she's two years old, two and a half years old, little Kelly. Um, Nyla was pregnant at the time with Callie when I probably got my most dangerous job which was um, doing a, a land speed record in America during COVID um, we only got to fly to America because Nyla had a US passport 
Um, so we flew with her pregnant, both of us, on pretty much an empty plane when COVID first hit, to America to do this um, manufacturer land speed record. So Is it was Koenigsegg. Uh, it was to try and beat the Koenigsegg. So I did the Koenigsegg UK record. Was it in the Hennessy? Uh, no, it was in the SSC Tuatara. But those one. are the three competing. So those three. Um, so one that actually had to be redone to be proved because there was so much drama around the first time. So that's that needs to be a whole other podcast, which I'm happy to talk about. But that's like an hour's worth of talking, definitely. Um, it eventually happened, but it, it took two takes. But anyway, during that first take, when we went to do that, we're talking 300 mile an hour speeds um, and an average of like 270, 280 uh, mile an hour. The problem with that was is... <laughs> I don't want to talk myself down, but anyone can go in and just hold full throttle. There was no saving it if it went wrong. There was two massive banks either side on this Vegas strip that we picked. It was a public road that was closed down. There was helicopters in the air. There was film crews everywhere. Uh, you know, Nada's back at the hotel, pregnant, and, and I'm about to break this, try to break this land speed record that someone on Tuesday in the UK tried to break for ES Motors in a Porsche 911 and passed away which I didn't tell her. Um, so I'm there like nervous for the first time in a long time because I'm never nervous when I'm in a race car because you've got barriers and tech pro and carbon cells and everything's so safe and I'm relying on my skill set. There's not much skill set in... Okay, I'll correct this before I say it. Drag racing, huge skill set. Not talking them down at all. In a road car, full throttle off the line from the lights, no skill set. Yeah, and if when cars start to slide at that speed, if if there was any movement in that car over two hundred mile an hour, it was game over anyway. I was in there as a professional driver, more on the practice runs to give feedback, and just because it's obviously good press to have a good guy in the car. Um, anyway, around about the ho the houses way of saying that th that kind of stuff I now won't do anymore. I don't think I would do any of those anymore with Cali being around because the risk versus reward scale is too far the other way. But in terms of Nyla, who jumps out of planes and skydives and does that for a living, um, she should trust her skill set and understand that it's safer than walking across the road and safer than racing. Um, uh, and racing is, uh, as long as I do my bit and my team do, do my bit. I do forget that. That must that must be a way of justifying some. That must be quite <laughs> handy, actually, sometimes. That must be a justification of the positions that you've put yourself in sometimes, the fact that, as you just mentioned, your partner jumps out of planes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll literally speak at lunch and she'll be like, please be careful. She'll see the weather and it's like raining before the race. And I'm like, you jumped out of a plane 15 times this morning. Like, she doesn't go and do it once. So, like, she'll go and do hop and pops down, back on, next angle whatever filming for a brand or, or sometimes just for her for training i'm like you just jumped out of a flying vehicle and so and just for some context do you want to explain what your partner does uh so um well, she's done many things in the past but i met her when she'd left a, a supplements business um which she took her share of and then went traveling and i met her during her kind of traveling journey um and she almost by accident slash on purpose a little bit like I did, built up a social media following by spending the money that she made from her desk job to then become what would be today a social media influencer um, that then took to skydiving and she uses that passion to, to generate income through uh, you know brand deals and, and, and all that. So she gets to... Is she do, still doing that? Still does it. Yeah, she was, I think this morning, jumping out of a plane. Yeah, 
spoke to her just earlier on, so yeah, it's uh, she's I'm mid, either I'm mid flight at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll call you back. She has FaceTime me, which is really bad. She, I've got, I've, I'll, I'll have to send it to you. I've got a video call of her when it's come through, and I'm in the garage. That's and amazing. And she is parachute open. So two high performance people, clearly very driven, clearly doing things very risky with with a two year old now, so maybe slightly taking the foot off the gas in in some respects. Both of you social media influencers in a way, built up large followings, lots of smiley faces, lots of cool shit, let's face it, everywhere. Must mean life's great all the time behind the scenes at home. It must just all be smiley constantly. Yeah, not so much, uh, as as I'm sure it is for a, a lot of people. But of course. It's, uh, yeah, things, things can always be tough behind the scenes and you never show, or I say never show, um, people don't often want to show the tough times because who wants to read something overly negative um if, if i spend 90 percent of my day doing something that's really tough and then see a really cool car and someone asks me to do a lap in it then i'm gonna post that because that's cool that's what i love that's what i see um and and no one's gonna go oh poor you if you tell them everything else you've done in the morning for instance or, or what you've been working towards the same when people are training to get in the car um but even in personal life, I mean, Nala's had a very, very tough... We've had very, very different lives. Um, I've been incredibly lucky to be brought up the way I have, but it's also something I shouldn't feel guilty for. Um, and she's had a very tough upbringing. She was raised um, through wars in um, Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and, and fled those places and, and, and brought up in tough times to, to get to where she was with, with some very tough parenting. Um, and, and loads of other stuff that's uh, not kind of podcast worthy, but that gives her a lot of a tough bitch. Then, <laughs> yeah, she is literally um, the person I admire the most in the world, even when we're at our toughest times, because because we have incredibly tough times behind the scenes, and we spent many years traveling through the world to amazing places, brand deals with hotels, and racing one minute and then uh, and, uh, the job is to make it look good and uh, then you could be screaming at each other like an hour later but i mean th- there's there's th- there's so much that does go on behind the scenes but now with with little Callie around you know it's our job to to teach her what hard work gets and i think with the upbringing i've had mixed in with the upbringing nyla's had we know what's right and wrong for her and how to give her the best life possible you seem very level-headed um, and it also seems like through the whole racing journey, especially the business element of it, of trying to negotiate contracts and find seats, you're constantly problem-solving. So what have you guys done to help maintain a healthy relationship, argument's sake, behind the scenes that's maybe aided to keep a great marriage, etc.? Um, everything from things that i never thought i would be doing and and looked at very differently to now therapy counseling even when things are good consistent like that um really that's interesting i I had to have some i I had some when i sold a a business my head was all over the place and then fiance left and and the lot and i i was actually told by mine that oh you're done now you don't need anything more i was i was like okay <laughs> i don't feel done bye <laughs> like, <laughs> sweet I, mean, I was really shocked by that so that's quite interesting actually that you you might have carried that on yeah um it, how how much does actually um being kind of grown up enough and giving something like that a go how much has that helped you it's helped me a lot um 
I've got to say, it, there's a lot of times where I think, oh, things are going well, don't really need that kind of help on the side anymore, but but it, but it then things can go wrong again, and then you're like, oh, I wish I still had someone to kind of speak to on the side, because, I mean, motorsports are really crowded, lonely place, because you're, I, I, I'm either on a plane, in a hotel, um, or in the car driving a million miles an hour around the track. Now, most am drivers get into motorsport, I find, not only because it's cool to go racing and, you know, it's really fun to drive cool cars, but any stress you have in life is impossible to think about at 200 mile an hour going towards a wall. So it is therapy. It is like therapy in motion. Like when I drive a car, I don't have the option to think about anything else. Um, so it is peace of mind. It is um, a break. But also on the flip side, I travel and work a lot to provide for the family that then upsets the family because I have to travel and work a lot. I wish I did a mundane, I wish I enjoyed in some parallel universe a mundane nine to five where I could be back every single night for the family. But a lot of the strife that's caused in our relationship is from being away. And I'm with a partner who I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying because she has her own podcast where she talks about it, um, you know, quite large abandonment issues. And now she's with someone who's, you know, trying her best to love her and look after her. And leaves every fucking second. So uh, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, it's 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 the worst combination to have to have in a way to have fallen in love with. It, it felt amazing at the start, and don't get me wrong, still does, because you know we massively complemented each other. She was an adventurer. She she got the brand deal for the hotel. I got the car. Uh, um, for doing my brand deal and then I would do the race weekend and we would we would package these weekends up and leave actually making money on a trip that would normally cost so much and we we're like oh my god this is, we're such a great team but then covid hits and then you have a baby and then you know you, you need a you need a consistent income um which requires me leaving a lot and traveling a lot and uh it that part of it is really tough between us but like we were saying that that kind of having someone to speak to on the side and it is really important because sometimes it feels like you're all alone trapped in in those situations so i think i would advise anyone who struggles to maybe speak to their parents about stuff or their other half about stuff because they're not understanding their point of view to to definitely speak to people because it it does make a big difference you, there's so many situations that you think well no one else is experiencing quite this but there's probably thousands of people i think it's just important which is you know a massive thank you for explaining some of that that everybody just thinks that whoever comes and sits in the seat opposite most of the time people's views them as oh it just looks amazing their life just looks amazing i think it's great to put context on stuff that the stuff that a lot of people go through at home in their lives that just just because something looks amazing doesn't mean that you know max Verstappen and kelly haven't had a huge row at a yeah, race yeah, weekend yeah. just before a world championship or something like that just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not actually occurring so i uh, thanks for that i think it's important to kind of get that across to people that that stuff does does happen but it's really good and, and can provide and inspire people when you actually hear do you know what like this racing driver is not afraid to go to a couple's therapy session <laughs> um so why, why why can't some of you guys um as we come to kind of uh, a close at the podcast where where do you see um the next five years in terms of your racing and development what what's kind of on the cards now and do you have any personal goals away from racing and rambling as well because i know am i right in saying that you own an incredible eleanor mustang for a period of time uh well we're, yeah it's still here in the uk is it you still got it it's still here in the uk uh not in dubai it would be cool um we're debating whether to 
up keep it move it sell it i don't i mean it's always been a dream car because i loved gone in 60 seconds and i was just, just expect, have you got the what what, what one of you like it's it's a, it's an original um chassis which a friend a friend through of my dad found in america that had been in a fire like almost totally burnt down other than the chassis and rebuilt so i don't know my even though i race in classics now i'd have to get it taken to someone to say hey how much can we say this is original not original because it has an original chassis plate and chassis with a totally new engine and gearbox and wheels and whatever so i think when you're looking at like things like 250 gtos and, and fries like that as long as it has its chassis plate you're allowed to call it original so yeah it's definitely not like a modern replica at all it's leaf spring suspension drum brakes original chassis i've got the book of the whole rebuild from the fire from the guy who had the original one um but it's not like a movie car or anything like that now. Very cool, nevertheless. And what? Uh, so what is coming up in terms of your racing and things that you want to be achieving in the next year or so? So hopefully Le Mans again and, and hopefully racing in the World Endurance Championship would be the main goal. There's a potential that we're racing in a, we can't say which one, but a large European GT3 Championship next year with McLaren, which looks like it's going to happen. Um, and then... Uh, also McLaren Trophy next year, which is a feeder series, which is with a guy called Ryan that I'm racing with at the moment. So two or three championships. And then on the side, which is a whole new world for me, I've been in the last two years um, with a good friend called Guy Zizzer who are racing classics with. So Jaguar E-types, Porsche, Le Mans Classic, Spa Classic, hopefully kind of Laguna Seca and Daytona Classic in these really really cool cars um you know and goodwood revival and those things. i was gonna say i love revival it's amazing like, do, do you know what? i i will say it and people think i'm i prefer revival to festival of speed i think it's just uh i i don't know it feels so racy and and real like the the i just i think it's because it's on the track as well i'd maybe love to see a festival of speed that they actually do on the circuit one year um, as well, just have a little break. I just because I love that Goodwood circuit. Yeah, it's they've a, it's only a ever done place. it. They've only ever done it once. So it was Speed Week in COVID. They did it around the track, and they did like these times and everything around the track, which was really cool. But I think the revival for someone who's already into motorsports is normally someone's favourite. For someone who's just into cars and wants to experience a cool event, there's probably no other place in the whole world like Festival of Speed where, um, like, an American can fly to the UK, let's say, or, or someone from Australia or someone from a totally different part of the world can come in and see every single one of their favourite road cars, race cars, rally cars, bikes, all in one place and with the famous people driving them. So I do think it's very cool for that. But I think, like you said, for, for, for us spoiled UK people who have got motorsports around every single corner, the revival is is very, very special. And what would your advice be to young people that are in a position where they haven't got huge family funding behind them, etc., and just think, well, it's just not going to be possible that I'm going to get into a car? What do those guys have to do now? My biggest advice whenever someone asks me that question is is to speak to as many people as possible. And I know it's it's such a simple thing to say, but I used to... I used to go to as many uh, black tie events and... and um, uh, Autosport awards and, and all these nights as I could so that I could spend the whole night walking around the tables and finding out who's going. I used to get the guest list in the book before I start and then highlight the people that I need to go and speak to, get my business cards ready and speak to as many people as possible and get your face out there that, again, why I did the social media as much as possible because because you're only in that car 1% of the time or let's say zero if you've not started out yet, 
it's a waste of time if you're not doing all the other stuff because once you do get your bum in that seat, if you know 200 more people than you did when you started, one of those people might be either your co-driver, sponsor, team owner, um, or simply someone that knows someone who can help you eventually because, like I said, there might have been thousands of Ayrton Senna's that never got their bum in the seat, but the only way that you can get all those jigsaw pieces together is when you do win that first race you can tell the whole world straight away. Yep. Oliver, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, having a great discussion and giving people insight in how you've become the amazing racing driver that you are today. I look forward to doing a lot more in the future. I will say it here, I am around about this close to selling my old 930 Turbo and replacing it with a mono. So I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm cool. hoping that we see each other in the future for some much-needed training <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. that I don't end up uh, in one of those tech pro barriers. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on, mate. Cheers. It's been a pleasure been to awesome. meet you. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.